Last week I showed you a bunch of charts and graphs and numbers and things, and whoa, did I get feedback. Y'all are amazingly interested in that kind of stuff. That something very, very important, hugely different has happened in the earth in the last 150 years, that something major is up and life is not continuing as it always has. Uh, if you get the CD actually on the rack, I put on paper, I put all the charts and graphs that we looked at on the screen last week. So if you're getting the CD from last Sunday, make sure you grab that along with it so that it makes sense if you weren't here to see those, see those things. So we looked at world population and how it went from less than a quarter billion to now we're somewhere up between seven and eight billion and just population is skyrocketing and technology and knowledge and information and travel and war and all this stuff that is happening that when Peter says in the last days scoffers will come that say Jesus isn't coming back life's going to go on forever like it always has and the proof is there in the numbers in the math that it is not going on like it always has something major changed not too long ago in world history some a number I didn't give you last week that somehow escaped me uh, d delivering it if you run the numbers there, you can see that something close to 90% of all the people, all the human beings that have ever lived, 90% of them are alive right now. There are nine times more people alive right now than have ever lived and died. And it's just amazing. What I, I told you last week, I'm not going to make any predictions or interpretations of what it is, but Jesus said, watch what the Spirit is doing. Watch what's going on in the world like you watch the weather. He said, you know the signs of the weather. Know what is up in my kingdom and what I'm doing. And So he did say that his return would take us by surprise in an hour we weren't expecting, but he also said numerous times, watch, pay attention, learn, think about it. Opening chapter of Revelation, the angel tells John, blessed are you who reads this book who looks into these things, there's a blessing. So that's what we're doing. And I told you that what we're going to do now is start uh, looking at what did Jesus say and what does the Bible prophesy, things that must happen between now and his return when he comes back. There's a list of things. It's not true that it could happen today because there's things he said have to happen that haven't happened yet. So it's not true. Oh, it could happen at any moment. No, there's specific things he said have to happen, and they are happening, but not all of them have happened. Not everything is done yet. One of the things that is changing, that is happening, that has to come to complete fruition before he returns is that the earth is going to come into the kingdom of God. I mean, the population of the world is going to get saved. And I don't mean every soul, but there is what Jesus called the harvest, which is the end of the age and the reaping of the people of the earth into his kingdom has to happen before he returns. We're going to look at Matthew 13, where he says this and interprets his own parable for us. Matthew 13, he tells a parable. He put it forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. A tare is a weed that looks like wheat, but it's actually toxic to eat. So it's actually deadly if you let this weed grow in your crops. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this is the parable that he tells. And he tells it outside in public to a crowd. And then actually Matthew chapter 13 goes on to other parables in this sermon as Jesus is talking to the crowd. And then later on in the chapter, he sends the crowd away and goes in privately to his house. And the disciples ask him, what does that mean about the wheat and the weeds? What, what is that? And this is one of two parables that Jesus interpreted for us and told us exactly what each symbol means. The first one was the sower of the seed and the four soils, the good ground and the road and the thorns and all that. And Jesus said, actually, if you don't understand that one, you won't understand anything of all of his parables. You have to know that one first. And then he also interpreted this one. So later on in the chapter, we get this, his interpretation. He sent the multitude away and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Remember, tare is a toxic weed that looks like wheat, but it's not. So he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So they ask him, Jesus, what does this mean? And he spells it out exactly plainly. I am the landowner the farmer. My seed, my wheat, my good grain is are you, my people. And the enemy is the devil in my field, which is the entire world. Satan has sown his people. Weeds that look like people, but they're toxic. They're poison. And they're not supposed to be in my field. And the harvesters are the angels. And the harvest is the end of the age. And then at the end of the age, I will send my angels out and they will pull the weeds out of my field, meaning out of the whole world, and I will reap my harvest into my barn, meaning I will bring my people into my house, my kingdom. Spells it out very plainly. What I want to focus on this morning is what Jesus says, the harvest is the end of the age. At the end of this age, we looked at all those numbers and graphs and off-the-chart charts last week we're, we're we're ramping up toward something i say we're not ramping up toward an end we're we're not winding down toward an end we're ramping up toward a new beginning but there will be an end to this time period and this age in the world as we know it and jesus says in this parable i'm going to liken that to a harvest meaning the maturity of all things you with me jesus said there's coming a time uh, what we call world history has been the growth of the grain in the field. And at the very end, at harvest, 
when the weeds and the wheat are fully mature, when everything comes to its full maturity, to its fruition at the end, that is the end of the age, and all of it will be harvested. The weeds plucked up and burned, the grain brought in to my house. He says the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvest is where I bring my crop into my house, and his crop is us, his people. And he says it's the end of the age. So something has to happen on a global scale where the people of the earth are reaped into the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus calls it the harvest. And you will hear authors and prophets and preachers talk about the harvest. And they usually refer to it in that language as this this last and final great revival, this wave of salvation that will cover the entire earth as Jesus reaps people out of the world and into his barn, into his kingdom, into his heart. He said that will happen at the end. He tells the angels, let the wheat and the weeds grow together all at the same time. And when they are fully mature, we'll take care of them both at the same time. So the harvest, the end of the age, is the maturing of every good seed and every bad seed that has been sown into the earth for all of time. I'm, I'm preaching better than that. <laughs> Somebody can say yes or amen or... Okay, all right, thank you. At the end of the age, all of the seeds that have been sown into the world will reach maturity, good and bad. The church will live in the greatest, brightest truth and victory and Holy Spirit power and evangelism and testimony and love and unity that we have ever lived in. And the world will be as dark and evil and horrendous and gross as it's ever been. Both will grow to maturity because Jesus said, I'm letting it happen that way. So some preachers and authors and people focus on one or the other. Oh, it's going to get bad. It's very, very bad. It's dark. It's evil. It's scary. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Tribulation. Ah. It is going to happen. Others only want to talk about victory and brightness and glory and revival, and they're both going to happen. Jesus said so at the same time. Well, you'll hear preachers say for various illustrations in lots of ways well, that light and dark cannot coexist, that Light chases off darkness. That's not true. There's lots of levels of light and dark in this room. Right? If you light a candle in a dark room, yes, the light wins, but there's a lot of darkness still there. Hello? So, yes, it is true that darkness must flee in the presence of light, but it is not true that where there is any light, there is pure light. Total light. There's a mix of light and dark shades all through everywhere. So it is true that light and dark, good and evil, will get stronger together at the same time. So Jesus said so, that all of the seeds the devil has planted in the world and all the seeds that he has planted in the world will come to total maturity at the same time. Yay, Jesus. And then he says, I'll put in my sickle and we'll harvest them all. Matthew 9, he makes this comment about the harvest. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here Jesus mentions the harvest again, and he mentions it specifically in the context of his compassionate love for lost and hurting and lonely people. So when we talk about the harvest, it is Jesus' pastoral heart. The word shepherd there is pastor. The Jesus' compassionate pastoring, shepherding of his people. He looks out at the crowds of the world and he sees broken, lost, hurting, lonely, sick, in pain, messed up people. And he feels deep compassion for them and he calls that bringing them to him. He calls that the harvest. So in this harvest that is going to happen at the end of the age, it is specifically, it is bringing people to Jesus for salvation and healing and care. Amen. Can I get more than two amens? Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Go Jesus. So the the harvest is not just about this wave of evangelism or revival. It is about Jesus loving people, caring deeply for the pains and the lostness and the sickness of their bodies and souls. His heart for the harvest is compassion and love, and he wants to take care of people. He's moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered and they need a shepherd. Then he says, the harvest truly is plentiful. Pray that the Lord sends out laborers into the field to harvest people into me, out of the world into me. In John 4, when he's been talking to the woman at the well, he sent the disciples into town for cheeseburgers and the woman comes out to the well for water and there's this whole story that goes along with that. Then they, the disciples come back and he says this weird stuff about, I have food that you don't know anything of. And they're like, where did he, how did he eat already? But what's happened is the woman has gone into town and told her testimony. And the whole crowd, the whole town is coming down the hill toward the well. And Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples are there, the woman has gone out and the whole crowd is coming. And he looks up and he says this, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you enter into their labors. So harvest in Israel comes in May and June. It's when they harvest their grain. It's a little earlier, quite a bit earlier than here. It may even be earlier than May, but apparently this is four months before that. So this is like in our calendar, it'd be like December or January. And Jesus says, you say it's still four months till harvest, but I tell you, he points at the crowd of people flowing out of the city at this woman's testimony. He says, that's my harvest and it's ready right now. They're white or ripe unto harvest and they're ready for eternal life. He, comp- he compares, again, people coming to him as being harvested out of the world and into his, into his kingdom, into his heart. So he says at there, 2,000 years ago, the harvest begins now. So it's totally true that Jesus and the apostles, all the Bible authors say repeatedly in lots of different ways, we're living in the last days. They said that 2,000 years ago. Well, then it has to be true we're in the laster days than they were. 
All right? I mean, we're seriously in the laster days. So it's, it's totally true that the harvest has been going on since that day when Jesus was at the well and he said the harvest starts right now. But he also says at the end of the age, there will be a global harvest where the entire world will be reaped. The weeds burned, the wheat brought into my field, or brought into my barn. And that has begun to happen. Of course, the harvest, every single soul that has come into Jesus for 2,000 years, every soul that's gotten saved has been harvested in this metaphor. But something has begun that is totally unprecedented in church history. When Jesus said, I go to my Father so that you can do greater works than me, I'm going to show you a video of the greater works. This is uh, Reinhard Bonnke. He's a German evangelist who works in Africa. And this is video of his crusades in the Muslim nation of Nigeria in the last 14 years. Here we go. Ah! Yeah! yeah. That's in a Muslim country! There are people... There's so many people hungry for Jesus, they come and they stand a mile away from the stage. Those numbers, like one and a half million saved, or three and a half million, that's in one crusade. That's not over 40 years. That's like one week in that location. The 73 million documented decisions, that's just their ministry in 40 years. All things are not continuing as they always have. Everything is ramping up. When the number of people on the planet skyrocketed, the number of people who know Jesus skyrocketed. And that's just one example. I know that ministry and I have that video so I can show it to you, but they're certainly not the only ones. But those crowds, that's bigger than anything Jesus ever did. And he said, we would do greater things than he did when I go to my father. That's what he wants. The harvest, that's, that's what's going to happen on the entire globe. Could it happen in Legrand? Yeah. Will it happen in Legrand? Yeah. Come on, we need some bigger vision. We need some bigger vision. Will it happen in Legrand? Yeah, it will. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't just love Africa. Miracles and salvations don't just happen in somewhere over there. They can happen right here. Where all of our family and friends and classmates and coworkers get saved in a massive wave when Jesus puts in his sickle and reaps them into his barns. In Mark 4, he says this, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. When will the harvest come? When the grain ripens. When the fullness of time for the earth is up, when the devil's time is up, when our time is up, when our maturity comes, when we are the pure and spotless holy bride of Christ, when maturity happens, when the grain is ripened, he puts in the sickle 
because the harvest has come. Jesus says the farmer puts in the sickle, and then in Revelation we find out he's the one with the sickle. Here we go from Revelation 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Yeah! Go, Jesus! Come on! It is a teaching that I was raised with. I don't know where I picked it up, but this mindset that there was going to be more people in hell than in heaven. That the devil was going to deceive all these people and only a righteous remnant was going to go to heaven. Do you know how sick it is to believe the devil's going to beat Jesus? How horrible of a thought to think that the devil will deceive more people than Jesus will save. And it's right there in Scripture for us. In the Old Testament law, the thief, when he was caught, had to restore double whatever he stole. If the devil steals one, God gets two. Hello? One-third, two-thirds. How many angels did the devil get? One-third, God got two-thirds. In Revelation, when the devil is given authority to destroy the earth, how much of the earth can he touch? One-third. It's always Jesus gets double whatever he gets. So whatever Satan ends up with at the end of all of this, Jesus gets double. Billions and billions and billions of people in heaven from every nation, tongue, and tribe. He will reap the earth. And yes, there are tares. There are people who will be lost. Hell is real. And some people choose it. I'm not preaching that everybody's going to heaven. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to save more than the devil's going to deceive. Here's one last scripture from Matthew 3. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So from even before Jesus' ministry began, John the Baptist was prophesying the harvest at the end of the age. So, a story for you. In November of 2004, Sarah got pregnant for the fourth time. And the first three times, she had known exactly whether it was a boy or a girl. With her first pregnancy, she said, it's a girl. And uh, we picked out a girl name. We changed it, seems like at least once, maybe twice. But uh, we, we changed it, but we only picked out a girl name. We did not have a backup boy name. We just, like, Sarah's like, no, it's a girl. And it was. We had freedom. And then she got pregnant the second time, and it's a boy. And so we were picking out a boy's name, and she liked Harvey. Her grandpa's name is Harvey, and I didn't like that. I thought it was too old-fashioned. And so we went with Will. Uh, William is a family name on both sides, and we picked William, and sure enough, boy is born. The third time, she said, it's a girl, and sure enough, it was. So November of 2004, she's pregnant for the fourth time, and she says, it's a boy. No question about it, it's a boy. And so we... We're talking about a boy's name, and 
we, I, I relented with my resistance and we picked out Harvey, it was her grandpa's name, and Glenn is an uncle that didn't have any kids and we wanted to um, honor him. So we picked out the name Harvey Glenn for our son. And August 1st, 2005, gives birth and it is not a boy. This little, this little uh, scoot was born August 1st, 2005, and we had no girl name picked out. Oh, I got ahead of myself in the story. Okay, so we picked out Harvey Glenn as our son's name. Several months before the birth, I was up in the middle of the night, kneeling in front of the couch praying, and I was praying about something totally unrelated to the rest of the story. I was praying, and the name Harvest came to me. Right, God can interrupt my prayers whenever he wants. And he totally interrupted, and he just said the word harvest. And I knew it wasn't just the word harvest, it was a name. I, I don't know how, to, how you explain what you know, but you know. When it's God, you know. And so I knew it was a name. And so the next morning, Sarah woke up and I said, what do you think about the name Harvest? And she said, well, it worked great for a girl, but it's a boy. <laughs> okay. So that was some weeks or months before. I don't know what time frame was, but when she was born, we had no girl name picked out at all. We had not talked about it at all. And she said, well, I guess you got your harvest. <laughs> so by default, we named her Harvest Glenn Coaston. We call her Harvey anyway. So we got our, <laughs> we got our Harvey. This is Harvey. She was Harvest Glenn Coaston. And that's as much as we knew, is that I knew I had gotten that name from God weeks or months before she was born. We had no intention of using it because it was going to be Harvey. And then didn't have the boy plumbing and we <laughs> needed a girl name. And so voila, here she is. So some weeks or months later, uh, we're out in the church parking lot, and Merle Smith says, do you know a Patricia King's prophecy about girls named Harvest? And I said, no. I'd heard of Patricia King. I am not a follower of her ministry. She's a prophet woman, and I read some things that she had said. I had no feelings, good or bad, one endorsement of her at all. I, I didn't know anything, but I'd heard of her. And I knew she was a prophetess that traveled the country and the world and, and did prophetic meetings and such. And so I went to her website, and it took me a while, but I found her prophecy. Now listen to this. This little lady here was conceived in November of 2004, and she was born August 1st of 2005. In November of 2004, Patricia King, at a prophetic meeting, said, the Lord has told me, that there will be an unusually large number of conceptions in the body of Christ between October and December. She was conceived in November. Again, we knew nothing about this at all until she's several weeks or months old. In November of 2004, the same month she's conceived, Patricia King says there will be a large number of conceptions right now in the body of Christ between October and December. They will be born between July and September. They will be born between July and September of 2005. She was born August 1st, 2005. She said, 
They will be girls. They will be named Harvest. And they are a sign that the harvest, the end of the age, has begun. Now, if Sarah and I had known that prophecy, read it on the Elijah list or something, and named her harvest just to be a part of that, that would be fraud, right? We had absolutely no idea about the prophecy until I thought it was earlier than Sarah, but Sarah says she was three months old or so when we found out. And Patricia King prophesied exactly this girl's conception Birth, name, exactly. This is not a prophecy like, I see an outpouring of oil in the spirit. And it could, you know, not that those are wrong, but those can be interpreted a lot of different ways. This is dates, names, specifics. This is it. This is the sign. So we've never met another girl named Harvest, but apparently there are several nine and a half year old girls out there named Harvest. And maybe not even in English, it could be other languages. And so who knows what that name would be. There's a whole group of them. This right here is not just for Sarah and I. This is a sign to you. Because Isaiah 8 says this, Here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders from the Lord of hosts. The harvest is upon us. Now who knows how long it will take could last 100 years, could be 15, who knows. But when a prophet goes out on that sort of a limb and is that specific and it happens exactly like she says and there's no hopeful thinking, there's no foreknowledge in planning it out for it to happen, I know I got that name from the Lord during prayer. We had no intention of using it and it happens anyway. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. Isaiah says, my children are a sign. If you go back and read Isaiah's children's names, you'll see God told him exactly what to name them and why, and it was because of current events. God gave them specific names. He named his at least three children very specifically because God told him to, and it was in response to what was going on in the world at that time. Hmm. Yeah. So, I'm telling you, in total honesty, we had no idea at all until after the fact. And it matches exactly. So, you may take that for whatever you want to take it for. There's a prophet, Bob Jones, who has said in various ways, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but his ministry is very accurate and specific. And he has said that the Lord told him that things as far regarding the harvest and this sweeping revival of salvation that will cover the globe, it began in 1973, the beginnings of the movement toward that direction. And those of you who uh, were saved in the Jesus movement, you're probably well aware of that. In what happened in America in the late 60s and early 70s, charismatic renewal and the Jesus movement. Now Bob Jones says it happened in 73 and that Satan's response to that is abortion. That the, the deliverer generation we talked about last Sunday that was born in Moses' day and Jesus' day and the harvest generation was being born from 1973 
on. Sarah and I were born in 74, so this is people our age and younger. What Bob Jones was careful to say is that it doesn't mean it's going to happen in our lifetime, uh, it may be, be completed in our lifetime, that, that it, is, it is beginning. And what he specifically said is that those born in the 70s and 80s are not the final generation that will see the culmination of the harvest, that we are the fathers and mothers, the apostolic leaders of that the generation that follows us. We might be the natural fathers and mothers, but also in the church, the fathers and mothers who will raise up and train and lead the generation that is born in the 90s and 2000s that will see the final wave or culmination of the end of the harvest and the end of the age. I know that's not scripture. You can investigate it for yourself. You don't have to receive what he says or my report of it, but that's his prophecy. Mike Bickle says the same thing in a different way. In the 90s, he was told by the Lord to put out a call in the church, in the spirit, for John the Baptist. I think he said 10,000 John the Baptist forerunners, which is people in their youth in the 90s, um, which is, again, Sarah and I's age and maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. These 10,000 forerunner, John the Baptist, who would prepare the bride for the groom, for his ultimate arrival. I just heard that a month ago. It happened in the 90s, but I just heard it that it happened, even though I really like Mike Bickle and I uh, listened to his teaching and really respect him. I didn't know about that prophecy that in the 90s, 10,000 forerunner John the Baptists were going to come to make straight the way of the Lord and prepare the way for his return. Um, but back in September, up on the mountain, I've told you several things that happened. Something I haven't ever said is that one of the words the Lord gave me and one of the instructions the Lord gave me in September was he said, prepare my bride. And, that, and I totally bear witness with this, with this John the Baptist call on my generation to prepare those who will come up after us to be the Jesus generation. <laughs> but again, that's, that's prophecy. It's not infallible scripture. I understand I've showed you a lot of scripture, though. So you may do with those as you wish, but the scriptures are true. What Jesus said is true. And regardless of how we view the timing of these things, as I said earlier, one thing we are guaranteed is that we are in the laster days than we were before. And that we've got one less day today than yesterday. And regardless of whether you want to view the harvest as a specific event at the end of time or whether it's all of the church age beginning with Jesus at the well when he said the harvest begins today and it continues on through his return, however you want to view it, guaranteed we got less time today than yesterday and we've got people to love and to save who need to know the truth and get free. Hello? And Proverbs 10 says this, he who harvests in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps through harvest is a disgraceful son. I don't want to sleep through the harvest. I don't want God to say I'm a disgraceful son. I want God to say I'm a wise son. So whether you view the harvest as a specific event, 
that is beginning or is future or whether you see it as, well, okay, we've always been in the harvest since Jesus said it began at the well in John chapter 4. Okay, fine, great. We're in the harvest and we dare not sleep. We have a job to do. We've got a calling to answer. You've got an anointing and a gift and an assignment from the Lord. And harvest time, Sarah and I are both farmer kids. Our dads are farmers and we know about harvest. Harvest is long, hot. Get up before the sun, go to bed after the sun, keep the combine running. Mom brings the meal out to the field in the pickup or the four-wheeler. Everybody's got a job to do, run the combine, drive the truck, fill the grain bin, or just bring the water bottles. But everybody's got something to do and you work all day long. It is not time to nap. And it gets tiring and it's hot, dirty, sweaty work, but there'll be time to sleep in winter. Right now, we got to get the harvest in because if we don't take opportunity when it exists, the grain will fall out of the head and be wasted. The corn that my dad grows in Missouri, it can stay for a while and harvest can go well into winter if it needs to. But soybeans in the Midwest and wheat and barley here, if you don't get it at the right window of time, the weather will catch up with you and it will be wasted. The one who sleeps through the harvest is a disgraceful son or daughter. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. You got an assignment. It's time to wake up. You got a call. You've got a gift. You've got something the Lord has given you to do, whether that's be an intercessor or teach the little kids or pray for healing or share your testimony or whatever it is that you have been given to do in the harvest, do your job. Because there is a window of opportunity that at the longest is your life, which is but a whiff in time. But I really, really honestly believe we don't have a lifetime left. We're down to a few decades. But at the longest, even if I'm wrong, and there's been lots of people that have believed it was coming in their lifetime and it didn't. I totally get that. So I totally admit that my expectation could be wrong along with everybody else's. (laughs) Somebody, sometime, is going to have that happen. (laughs) They're going to say, this is it, and they're going to be right. And I think it's us. But even if not, even if Jesus tarries another hundred years, your lifetime is really short. That is the window of the harvest for you. Don't, now is not the time for laziness. It is not the time for cowardice. It is not the time to hang back and live for yourself. It is the time to harvest your field. And it may get tiring. It may get dirty. It may get long hours. But you work in the field. You work in Jesus' fields. And we bring in the harvest, which is evangelism, it's pastoral care, it's getting people free from demons, it's healing their bodies, it's restoring their marriages and bringing hope. Shine your light. The dark days come, shine brighter. Amen. Don't sleep. Now is the harvest. No sleeping. Time for work. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have already reaped us into your house. You've taken your sickle and cut our hearts open for you. Thank you for taking your sickle to us.
for bringing us into your barn, for harvesting us out of the world and into your kingdom. Thank you for calling us early so that we can get to be a part of your work, to share in your labors, to love our neighbor, to pray for the sick, to heal, to bring restoration and truth and salvation and light. All the good things that you have for our classmates and neighbors and co-workers and friends and our unsaved family. Thank you, Lord, for letting us participate in the harvest of your field. And you said to pray this, so I pray this now. In Jesus' name, we ask for you to send laborers into the fields, your angels and your people. Lord Jesus, ultimately we know it's you that puts the sickle in and harvests the grain, that you, you cut each heart open so that you can enter. You take your Holy Spirit knife and you cut through all the garbage and the chains and you bring life. You cut through the darkness and bring light. You cut through the hatred and bring forgiveness. So we ask you to take your sickle down our street, through our family, through our classrooms, through our workplaces. Lord, use our mouths, use our hearts, use our hands to bring your love, to bring your freedom, your salvation to those that you want to reap into your house. We love you, Jesus. We cheer you on. It is awesome to see what you are doing all over the world. And we so long to be a part of it right here, to take care of your people, to reap new people into your house, to love and bring freedom and truth and teaching and encouragement wherever we go. Reap your field, Jesus. Reap your field. Amen.